Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Doing all right? Uh, John Copeland, could you make your way forward? Do, I, do we have a John in the house there? Okay. As um, Adam said, um, we're uh, starting a season of 24-7 prayer on March the 1st. So we'll do that for 31 days. We've been doing this now. This will be our 18th year in a row that we've had some form of 24-7. And, um, and uh, John Copeland was a part of the very first time that we did it, actually in the previous building. And I asked John to come and just share a little bit of his experience, and then I'll talk a little bit about more about the prayer room. So come on in. There's plenty of room. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> so I'm going to have to use my notes because... Not just because it was a long time ago, because I kind of need my notes to remember what I'm going to say. So, um, as Randy said, back in 2005, you know, as a church, you know, we were doing this for the first time. And it's like, what's the expectation? You know, how do we, how do we prepare for the prayer room? How do we, you know, what is this? You know, how do we connect with the Lord in this? So, um, being asked to pray for an hour something I wasn't ready to do, you know, I was like, maybe 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> that was hard for me at that point, but an hour, how am I going to pray for an hour? So, um, you know, um, so I just had to really focus on that, and um, as we learned more about the prayer room and what it was um, going to be for the Lord, and how we were to come to the Lord in the prayer room um, personally, and uh, just to see how he would touch us and, and during that time, it kind of made sense. Um, as we begin to talk about it, um, it, not only in the church, but in our small groups. Um, so prayer can mean um, anything. Um, I'm sorry. Prayer can mean anything as long as your heart and mind are focused on the Lord. So like being thankful for the Lord, being, th being silent before the Lord, uh, reading scripture, uh, listening to worship music, and et cetera. As long as your heart is connected to the Lord and it's um, focused on the Lord. So the Lord, he'll give each of us what we need when we need it, and at the, especially at the time we need it, right? And um, I didn't realize what I was going to receive in the prayer room was what I needed at that time, but he knew. Um, the Lord individualizes his gifts so that we know when we receive it, it is from him. Um, so when I was, a little backstory, um, about 2005, um, my wife and I were married in 99. She was diagnosed with a, a, a disease, and, um, and it wasn't going well at the time. So there was a lot of heartache and strife that she and I were working through at the time, um, praying um, and different things. And we did see the Lord move in certain areas, but we wanted more. We wanted the more. We wanted the healing. Um, Unfortunately, that never really came until she went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. Um, but in that, my experience in the prayer room during in 2005, I've always held on to it. Um, so preparing for that week before I went into the prayer room, I was always praying in, the, in my car, going to work, and coming home. Okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And it wasn't really what, something to do. It was just more of an acceptance of how he wants me to be in front of him. So as it's being described in the prayer room, um, when you sign up, um, I chose an hour slot. That's a minimum, right? You know, I'll, do, I'll do the minimum, you know. And um, 
So I, I came on my night, and I was prayed, I was sorry, I was prayed into the prayer room by someone else. I don't remember who that was. Um, but I do recall before I went into the room that I was to take off my shoes and leave my personal belongings outside of the room so I can just be before the Lord, um, just an open slate for him. And when I entered into the room, there was some uh, slight worship music playing. It was really soft, and uh, just hearing from the Lord. Um, as I was, and I, I was like, okay, okay, I really need to focus because um, I signed up for this, right? <laughs> so I am reading. I'm walking around the room praying, and it was about 45 minutes into the prayer time. And of course, being only out, I'm looking at my clock. Okay, time's almost up. But the Lord had other plans. So I was reading scripture, and I heard an audible voice. Okay, let me back up. There was nobody else in the building, right? It's locked down. There's nobody else in the building. I heard an audible voice behind my right shoulder. And the word was for me. I see you. I heard the words, I see you. I immediately began to cry, got on my knees and just wept. Because at that time, that's what I needed. I needed that confirmation from not only from the Lord, but just for myself, that I was seen in the hurt that I was going through for my wife, in the struggles I was going through personally, and that he saw me. And um, that's always been in my heart all these years. And it's never left. Um, I've not heard an audible voice since. And, but I do hear in other ways from the Lord. So to encourage you, if you're not sure what the prayer room is all about, just take an hour. Sign up. Be willing to hear from the Lord because he will give you what you need when you need it, and if it's in the prayer room, it's in the prayer room. If it's not in the prayer room, it's in your home. It's through, other, it's through somebody else. So now when I sign up for the prayer room, I got two-hour slots. I'm there three or four times a month. And expectant, you know, of what the Lord's going to give me, you know. And so I just encourage you to sign up in the prayer room because you're not going to know what the Lord's going to give you when you need it. Thank you. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Okay. You guys want to stand and we'll just pray for John. Thank you, God, for this testimony. Thank you for the good news through John that, Lord, you, you see us, you know us, and you are not afraid to communicate those realities. So we just pray your blessing upon John and all who receive um, this good news today. Lord, may we hear your voice. And may you bless John in his ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, John. You can be seated. So we've hired John to pray everyone into the prayer room <laughs> with a money-back guarantee that you'll hear the audible voice of God. <laughs> 
Um, just to reiterate, we'll, um, we'll start not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, March the 1st. We'll have a um, worship night here in the sanctuary, 7 to 8.30. We'll just worship, be before God, and then we'll pray the first person into the room. And then that room will be open 24-7 from March 1st to March 31st. Um, Sign-ups, the um, sign-up will go up this week in the hallway, and you'll have lots of time and space to come and be before God. The theme this um, this season is just one thing. I don't mean it's just one thing. I mean it's one thing. That is the theme for the prayer room, just one thing. And it comes from Psalm 27.4, where David says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And so we're just going to come in by ourselves, with others, with our groups, with our friends, with our family, our coworkers, maybe a couple of enemies, bring them on in. There's room for everyone. And just ask God for this one thing, that we might be with him. Just simply to be with God. Now, we've got some ways that will help you to do that, but um, I would encourage you, start planning now. Just start planning now for whatever time, morning, noon, night, uh, the two to four slot in the in the in the in the middle of the night seems to be when Jesus shows up completely. So I'll push that one a little bit. Nah, a little bit of a joke. Just a little bit of a joke, actually. Um, God will be present, and as we make ourselves present to him, he will make himself present to us. So I would just say plan now for your time in the prayer room. All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 17. If you have a Bible, Matthew 17, it'll be on the screen too. Um, I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 1 to 9, the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. So as I read, if you wouldn't mind, if you're able to do so, could you stand? And we'll just read the word of the Lord for us this morning. Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as you initiated this transfiguration, and as you preserved this scripture, would you now give us illumination that we might know how to enter in, to receive, to learn, to digest, and to live out the reality of transformation as we gaze upon Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. 
Um, so confession, I've never spoken about the transfiguration before. You'd think 21 years of ministry, you got to be assigned at some point, but I never have. Um, if you've heard a message on this, on this uh, passage, the transfiguration, probably more than likely the message was about Peter. You know, Peter is the dumb schmuck who doesn't know what he's doing, and he's up there, you know, and he sees that Jesus is transformed, Jesus becomes full of light, and, and Peter has this idea, this is good, let's stay here. And sometimes uh, speakers or writers about the transfiguration will say, you know, Peter was so fixated on the moment, he wanted to stay on the mountain, but the real work is down in the valley. You got to get off the mountain, you got to go down and feed the poor and care for the needy, you know. So Peter gets thrown under the bus, usually. Or sometimes it's just Peter, like the doofus, who, who like speaks before he thinks, you know. And here's this encounter, and Peter's like, I know, let's build tents. That'll be a good idea, and we'll all stay here. Either way, it seems like Peter kind of becomes the focus of the message. But I want you to notice something, and I, I just want to say it out loud. I, I was going down a different track for this message until um, about Thursday, and then I read an article by a pastor who preached this differently, and it just struck me. So it'll be in my notes. You can see it. I'll give full credit. But it, it really changed the way I looked at this encounter that Peter, James, and John have on the mountain with Jesus as he's transformed. And here's the point that the guy was making. He said, do you notice that Jesus does not rebuke Peter? So Usually we throw Peter under the bus, you know, like he wants to stay on the mountain or he's trying to control Jesus or whatever. But in the text, Jesus never rebukes Peter. Now, we know Jesus is not afraid to rebuke, right? In our text, we see six days earlier, Matthew 16, you can read it for yourself. Jesus goes to the disciples and he says, now, who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you know, getting it right for sure. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. In other words, Peter, way to go. You aced this one. And right after that, in Matthew 16, it says that Jesus began to tell them that he would have to suffer and he would have to be killed and then he would have to be raised from the dead three days later. And um, G uh, Peter says those two words that no follower of Jesus should ever say, no, Lord. He says, never, Lord. Certainly that wouldn't happen to you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He's just blessed him. You're amazing. You're awesome. A plus, by the way, get behind me, Satan. Because you are not thinking about the things of God. You're only thinking about the things of man. So Jesus is not afraid to rebuke even the star pupil, Peter. But here in Matthew 17, Jesus is transformed right before their eyes, glowing the light of God coming out of Jesus. Can you imagine it? The light of God coming out of Jesus, and they're up on the mountain, and then Elijah, um, uh, Moses the lawgiver, Elijah the prophet, sort of symbolizing all that came before Jesus, they show up, and the three of them are having a chat. And the other three, Peter, James, and John, are just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Peter says, why don't we stay here? This would be good. Peter says, Lord, this is good. How about I put up three tents? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, Peter's saying, 
you know, this is good. Why don't we stay here? Why don't we stay in this moment? I'm seeing Jesus for who he really is. I've never experienced anything like this. Let's just hang out here. But Jesus does not rebuke Peter. In fact, Jesus doesn't even answer Peter. If you look in the text, uh, it's the one place in the Gospels where somebody says something to Jesus and he doesn't even respond. There's no response whatsoever. Now, God speaks relatively powerfully. The Father from heaven, because everyone goes down after that. But Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. And so my question for this morning is, what if Jesus doesn't respond more or less because maybe Peter's not a doofus? Maybe Peter's got it right. Maybe the question that Peter asked, though he doesn't really know exactly what he's saying, maybe it's exactly the question that Jesus himself prompted in his heart that he wanted to hear. What if this story is not about Peter's rashness or his pride? What if the story is about the glory of Jesus? What if the transfiguration is about Jesus and not about Peter? What if the transfiguration is about Jesus and not about us? Not about the way we're going to screw it up or try to control. What if it's just about Jesus showing himself to be who he truly is? Could it be that Peter, that Jesus doesn't rebuke or even respond to Peter because though he may not know exactly what he's saying, Peter gets it right by saying, I'm gazing at the risen, I'm gazing at God himself. I'm gazing at Jesus and this is good. Maybe that's the point of the message. That's what this article um, did for me and I, I just realized it changed something, you know, don't we want to make every gospel story about ourselves in some way? I mean, it's, it's typical. We're like, well, what would I do? Or what should I do? What if this is just about looking at Jesus? Maybe that's our introduction to this season of Lent and our time in the prayer room, is just to look at Jesus. What if Peter was right to want to make a place for the glorified Jesus to dwell right there in his presence? What if it was a good thing for Peter to say, Jesus, I'm seeing you like I've never seen you before. Let me give you a place to stay so I can remain in this communion with you. What would that mean for us as we read and digest and try to live out this passage if that's the point of the passage? Peter, James, and John are witnessing like a threshold moment. It's a moment of transformation. The, the word in Greek, for what happens in Jesus. We call it transfiguration. The word in Greek is metamorpho. It's just he was transformed. He was one thing before them, and then the light of God came out of him, and he was another thing. They saw him for who he really was. They saw the inside of Jesus. Somehow they saw the nature of Jesus in the, that moment. And so Peter, James, and John, they're getting a picture of the future. They're watching the man they followed to reveal just a little bit of his glory. Uh, I think it's Timothy who says that God lives in unapproachable light. And maybe in that moment, Peter, James, and John are just getting a little bit of that unapproachable light as it emanates from Jesus the Christ. Now, they don't stay there, right? Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. He also doesn't say, go to Lowe's and get some lumber, right? 
So they, they, he, he, they don't build the shelters. The voice from heaven speaks, just like at the baptism of Jesus. The voice comes, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And at the sound of the voice, at the message of love, at the pronouncement of divine pleasure over the son, the humans in the room do what seems natural. They go to the ground. I mean, they fall, uh, I was going to say they fall flat face. They f- fall flat on their faces. They go down before God, which seems like an appropriate response to the audible voice of God. John, no offense to you if you didn't go down. But God's instruction to the disciples is this. Listen to Jesus. Implicit in that instruction to listen is the command to obey. Not just listen and consider what does he say, but do what he says. Follow him, live with him, and in uh, the case of at least Peter and James, die for him. It's not just Jesus that's being changed on the mountain because Peter, James, and John are being changed. Why? They get a vision of Jesus. They see something that's new because transformation is the natural outcome of gazing upon Jesus. If there's a point I'm trying to make this morning, that's probably it. Transformation is the natural outcome of gazing at Jesus. You can't look at God and not be changed. You can't see him for who he really is and then go away and say, huh, whatever, ho-hum. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter the divine transformer. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul's writing. In verse 17, he says, All of us gazing with unveiled faces on the glory of the Lord. All of us gazing with unveiled faces, not like Moses, on the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's Paul saying? You look at Jesus, you become like Jesus. You gaze on him, you become like him. Gazing upon Jesus changes us. Staring at the changeless one changes one. Staring at him changes us. Because all of a sudden, the reflection of his glory, I mean, I don't know how it works. You know, and you might want to, I mean, as just as I'm talking, getting all ramped up, I think some of you are thinking like, oh, yeah, they were kind of mystical types, those disciples. that They did that fluffy, touchy-feely, ethereal stuff. Not Peter. And not James. I mean, now, maybe John was kind of a lovey-dovey type, you know. But the, but the other two, I mean, this wasn't their normal mojo. They're like, let's get the job done. Let's, you know, lead the church. Let's beat the devil. But here they are being invited to the mountain so that they can see Jesus in a way they've never seen him before. And as a result of looking on him, they begin to experience change. It's good to want to stay with Jesus, to remain in his presence and see him in his glory. And that's One of the reasons that we will take a whole month out of the year, 31 days, and just open that room back up there and do a lot of work and get a lot of people involved 
so that each and every one of you can walk in and be with Jesus. Yes, you can be with Jesus in your car, in your home, in your workplace. But there's something about being invited by Jesus to a place, a special place where you just say, Jesus, here's what I want to do. I just want to gaze at you. I just want to look at you. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to feel and experience your light and your glory as much as I possibly can. And so we'll spend those 31 days in the prayer room just asking for one thing. God, let us stay here. Man, I, I kind of hope you hear Peter's, you know, crazy thought, like, why don't we just build a place we could be here? Well, we've built a place. And honestly, God has built a place that he could dwell within us. Mike Bickle loves to say, we become what we behold. In other words, we look more like what we consistently look at. Whatever it is that you're beholding, whatever is in front of you, and guess what? We get to choose that, what we place in front of us. We become more like that. So I guess my, my bold exhortation this morning is let's behold Jesus. Let's behold Jesus. Let's look at him over and over so we can become like him. On the mountain, Peter gets a view of what has happened, right? He sees, G he sees God in the flesh. He sees flesh. Wow, God has become man. But he also gets a picture of what's going to happen because flesh turns to glory in his presence. That is our destiny, right? I mean, these bodies, these temples, eventually they go away and, the, and then it's just the glory of God left in us when we're before him in heaven. So Peter and James and John get the view of what has happened. God has become man. And what is happening? Man is invited to become God-like. I mean, filled with the glory of God in the image of God. Peter wants that. He wants transformation. He wants to be filled with the light of God. He wants to be pure. And Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter because maybe... Peter's heart is actually headed down the right track. Oh, eventually we're together forever. Maybe Peter had a picture of that. Eventually that's where we're headed. And, you know, Peter's just like us. I want it now. Can't we have it now? Can't we be together now? We're made in the image of God and we're destined to become like Jesus, to be transformed and we become like him when we look, look upon him. Because the more we see him for who he is, the easier it will be for us to see us as we truly are. Because you gaze at Jesus and you start to see yourself through his eyes. Now, that sounds, I don't know, does that sound weird? We're looking at God when we gaze upon Jesus, the one who created us in his image. And the reflection in his eyes, is what we're truly made to be. So there is something about staring at Jesus and worshiping Jesus and being in his presence and taking intention that causes us to become more like him. It is God's work in us. So I'm going to encourage us, let's take the invitation of Jesus to ascend the mountain in these next 31 days to see him for who he really is. Unfortunately, I cannot give you three easy steps to hear the audible voice of God. <laughs> I looked for that book on uh, the Kindle. It wasn't there. I don't know how that works. Um, 
Sometimes I think to myself, I want to have an encounter with God like that. And then every time I read in the scriptures when people have an encounter like that, there's, you know, the bejeebers are scared out of them. So I think, well, God, yeah, we could do that later. But we want him. We, we want him. I don't know how to do the three steps to hear the audible voice of God, but I can tell you this. Every encounter with God for a human begins with an invitation from God himself and then the response of a human heart. And all over the room here, I have no doubt God's inviting us. God's inviting each person, come to the mountain with me. I can't tell you what will happen there, but I can tell you that if you look at him and you see him for who he is increasingly, you'll become more like him. And that's a transformation that each of us, I know, we really want. It's not hard to look at Jesus, but it does take time. Heather and I were talking earlier. The reality is sometimes it is hard to look at Jesus because we see purity and then we feel reality. And it, and it makes us want to push away. But it's not the heart of God. So what does it look like practically to gaze upon Jesus and worship, reading the Bible, silence, stillness, listening to God, responding to God, talking to God? I mean, how do you engage with a spouse? How do you look at your spouse? How do you engage with a, somebody that you're enamored with, like a sports figure or a star? What do you do? You take time out of your schedule. You... You, you push something else away so you can just be and look and hear and listen and study and encounter. So maybe Jesus didn't rebuke Peter because Peter's heart was God's heart. And maybe we can hear today the heart of God, which is just dwell in my presence. Just be with me like the heart of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Remember Simeon, the old guy in Luke 2? He, he's got the eight-day-old baby Jesus in his arms. And he says, essentially, okay, God, you can now dismiss your servant here in peace because I've seen the salvation of Israel. I've seen the light for the nations. I, I've got everything I need. Now you can take me. Or the heart of Mary that Heather spoke about a, a couple weeks ago. The heart of Mary that would just say, you know, Martha's messing with her, getting ticked off about not Mary not helping with the dishes and so forth. And, and there's Mary just postured before Jesus, just sitting and listening. And Jesus applauds her posture and just says, Martha, you're worried about so many things. But look at Mary. Only one thing is necessary. And she's found it. She's chosen it. I think that's our call during this season is just to choose that one thing. Just sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and gaze. It's the heart of David, right? Who wrote Psalm 27, 4. God, there's just one thing I want. I just, this is what I'll go after. I just want to dwell in your house. I just want to be able to seek you and gaze on your beauty. I just want to be with you. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for his desire to remain in his presence. Peter also doesn't give, Jesus also doesn't give Peter his own way. In other words, Peter doesn't get to control the encounter. And sorry to have to give you that part, 
But what it means is that we might have to let go of some of our grand plans for transformation. I mean, you know, Lent begins this Wednesday, prayer room the next Wednesday, but Lent, for those of you who do that, begins this Wednesday, the 22nd. And some of you might be thinking, I'm going to gear myself up in Lent. I'm going to do a lot of hard work so that I can be changed by God. And I would lovingly encourage you, let it go. Doesn't mean don't do anything. Listen to Jesus. That's what God said from heaven, right? Listen to Jesus. But we don't get to control our transformation. Peter sees the glory of Jesus. He says, let's get together here. This would be great. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to work that way. You get a little bit of revelation here, and now we're going to go down and we're going to give it away to other people. We may have to let go of something because deep change always involves letting go of control in some area of our lives. Oh, goody. So, closing, now after the glory of God manifested in Jesus visibly, you know, Peter suggests we build the huts, the voice of God. People go face down in terror. Jesus comforts them. And then two more things. Jesus says, now, you've had this grand experience. Just one more thing. Don't tell anyone about it. Like, what? I had an encounter with God, and then God says, and don't tell anyone about it. I just want to give this to you. There are experiences we have with God that are not meant for others. And so as you have encounters with God, you, you, you pray, just like when you get a gift, God, is this for me or for someone else? You have an encounter with God. God, am, am I supposed to share this? And if so, with whom and when? Because not every encounter from God is meant to be shared. Because sometimes those encounters with God can take people's focus off of God and put it onto us. Like we would be tempted to make this about Peter. But it's about the glory of Jesus. So listen to Jesus. And finally, at the end of this big revelation and this, you know, big encounter from heaven, Peter, James, and John are left with the most important prize that anyone could have. The text says, and then they saw no one but Jesus. The end of all this is they're just there with Jesus alone. They just see Jesus and that's all they have. And apparently Jesus thinks that's all they need because then they walk down from the mountain and they've got nothing but Jesus before them. In the end, it's not about wild and wonderful mystical experiences that reveal Jesus. In the end, it's about the gracious and loving God that those experiences reveal. So even as we gaze upon him, and even as we get revelation, and even as we hear from him, and we press in and God answers our prayers, let's not let our focus become experience, because experience is only meant to reveal the king. Let's let our focus be on the king, and let him govern everything after that. Let's pray. Would you stand? If I could ask the ministry team to come forward, it'd be great. Um, Jesus, we do want to see you. We thank you for invitations this morning all around the room in hearts and minds. Thank you for calling us to yourself. 
Thank you for revealing yourself to us. We ask for more revelation. Lord, we, we, we truly want to see you. So God, would you open our eyes and empower these weak wills at times and these spirits to, to stay with you, to just remain. Lord, as we go after one thing, we ask that you will reveal yourself to us in all your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we'll just have the ministry team up front. And if you would like someone to pray for you today, any of the things that we talked about this morning, anything that God said, please come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Um, encourage you again, uh, come out to the congregational meeting tonight. You'll hear more about the prayer room and other things happening. Um, one week from Wednesday, the prayer room begins with a worship night here.